Okay, let's go on to Dr. Reeves' case. This is an 84-year-old gentleman who began to experience some symptoms of fatigue. He was unaware of any sight of blood loss, but was found to be anemic with a hemoglobin of 7.4 grams when he presented at his primary care doctor's office and an MCV of 72. The rectal exam at that time was positive for hemocult involvement, and a colonoscopy identified a cecal lesion. He underwent a right-sided hemicolectomy. The tumor penetrated into the muscularis, and there was one positive node at the time of his resection. Complicating the issue is the patient is the sole provider of care for his wife of 52 years who has suffered a stroke. He does all the personal and home care, uh, maintains the property, drives her to doctor's appointments. And, How uh, disabled is she? She's got a right-sided hemiplegia, so she requires assistance. She's able to you know, stand if she gives her the impetus to get up. Speech um, and communication problems? She is able to speak. He understands her, obviously, for all these years. How long ago did she have the stroke? About three years ago. Three years. Did he have other help, or is he pretty much it? No, he really does everything. The family, other children are out of town, so and a neighbor will come by and help on occasion. Did she come in with him when he came? No, she did not. So he was concerned about not being able to take care of her? That's correct. You know, his big concern is he needed to survive to be there for her. He never wanted her, and I guess they'd made agreements that they would not go to nursing homes. They would always care for each other until death do them part. So, Bob, what kinds of options would you be thinking about in this situation? So, just a couple of quick questions. He had a normal CEA pre-op or elevated or where? He had a normal CEA preoperatively. And do you know how many lymph nodes were actually assessed? Over 15 were looked at. Okay. Can you kind of pick up on why you asked about lymph node number, Bob? So there's, I guess, for about five years now, the NCCN network has recommended that for lymph node assessment, a minimum of 12 lymph nodes should be assessed in terms of really determining a patient's stage of tumor as either one, two, or three. And so at ASCO, there were several abstracts. One was do NCCN sites meet that benchmark, meaning do the comprehensive cancer centers meet the benchmark of 12 lymph nodes being assessed? And the answer was about 90% of the time they do in colon cancer, about 80% of the time they do in rectal cancer. That was based on about 350 patients from eight of the centers in the network. Including your place. Including ours, Memorial, Roswell Park, a number of others. In SEER data, the batting average was not as good. In SEER registry data, with something like 19,000 patients analyzed, only about half the time were 12 lymph nodes retrieved. In colon cancer, 52%, and for rectal cancer, it was closer to 40%. So there needs to be some work, I guess, in terms of trying to get that number increased. A lot of that discussion related to the node-negative patient, but this man has one positive node, so what are you thinking The other comment I would make is I feel better about one out of 15 compared to one out of four or one out of six. I worry more about that. Gets back to an issue of these lymph node ratios that people have talked about. But one out of 15 is somewhat comforting. The size of the primary tumor was? I believe it was about three centimeters. Yeah, so that's not real big. For some reason, in my own mind, if you got a big old tumor, you just feel like it took a long time to get into one lymph node. You just feel like this is not quite as bad. I really think the issue here is, again, an oxaliplatin issue. This man, if he really wants to be sort of free of a lot of doctor's visits and going back and forth, might be a good candidate for capecitabine alone. 
if he really said, I want to ensure as best I can that I have the best chance, I do think that Full Fox would be a superior regimen by adding it. It's just a matter of he is going to have a trade-off of perhaps some days where taking care of his wife is going to be more compromised because of Full Fox. At least I think he's probably going to face more toxicity and more doctor's visits compared to doing Cape Cytobine alone. The other point I would make is that I really firmly believe people should be talked about in terms of iron supplementation. Your iron stores will come back just by removing the tumor, but I think it is accelerated by giving iron. We kid ourselves when we give chemotherapy that it leads to a macrocytosis, so we see the MCV going up, and we really don't feel like we don't need to give people iron. But this is a patient, 80 years old, 84, who I would not push iron a lot. A lot of doctors, I think, give too much iron, but make sure they're iron replete within three months. I usually ask them to take one ferrous sulfate a day, 100 pills, and they're done. That pretty much repletes everybody. But it's something that a lot of physicians just sort of forget because uh, the tumor's out, the bleeding stopped, they'll just eat a regular diet and everything will be fine. But it'll take longer. And iron deficiency, even when you're not anemic, can make your batteries run low. Rich, you know, another way to look at this is, yes, full fox or something like that might be an inconvenience, but recurrence would be a catastrophe. What kind of numbers would you give to this man? Baseline risk of recurrence, recurrence with a fluoropyrimidine, recurrence with, say, full fox. My guesstimate would be that his cure rate would probably be somewhere between 50 and 60 percent with surgery alone, and that you probably could improve that to around 70, 75 percent with chemotherapy, 70% maybe with single agent 5-FU and 75% with full fox. And I guess one of the other issues is would he have the resources to have someone look after his wife while he's in the chemo suite and that sort of thing? Can he compromise what he's doing? Because if not, I think capecitabine is a great alternative for him. And if you were going to use capecitabine, what dose would you use? I would probably use 1,000 milligrams per meter squared BID. Bob, the exact trial that looked at Cape Cytomine's adjuvant therapy, where a lot of the patients came from Europe, used 2,500. How do you approach this when you do it, and how would you approach it if this man were going to receive it? Yeah, I must tell you, I think evidence-based medicine is an important concept for people to think about. I personally believe that we are using far too much of our drugs in most patients. Chemotherapy at some level is targeted therapy. It hasn't been studied as targeted therapy. We've studied molecular agents as targeted therapy. We haven't studied cytotoxic agents. And I really think that there's not a lot of data that dose intensity in GI tumors, we can argue about breast cancer, we can argue about other diseases, but dose intensity in GI tumors hasn't been established as a needed paradigm. I personally think you need to get a threshold of your drug to have efficacy Certainly, if somebody's hands are getting red, I think they're getting enough capecitabine. I usually dose my patients more at about 850 to 900 per meter squared twice daily. And the biggest issue with the elderly is careful follow-up. I mean, I usually will see these patients with each cycle, typically towards the end of each cycle, sometimes at the beginning of the next cycle. But when I usually start somebody, I might see them right at the end of the two-week cycle to make sure they're not getting into trouble with diarrhea, 
hand foot is something that usually takes a while to sort of kick in and see. Do you look at their feet? Do you ask them to take their shoes and socks off? Yeah, I usually, I mean, the hands typically go with the feet. There are some people, it seems like they get more of one or the other. But, you know, usually the conversation starts with me going like this, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. And are people listening? He just opened his hands. Yes, I'm showing the palms <laughs> of my hands for, for those of you the in your cars, in cars listening, listening, listening to this. Yeah. Um, sometimes people say, my feet hurt, and it burns when I walk. It feels like I'm on a rough carpet and I'm barefoot kind of sense. And you say, well, let's take a look at them. Any pearls about, you know, ointments or prevention or treatment or anything? I have to say, I really think most of what we do is a placebo effect, that you could tell them to put, you know, sand, rub sand on your feet or anything else, and people would say, yeah, I think that helps a little, because virtually everything seems to help a little. What helps a lot is to give them a chemo break, take an extra week off, and take one pill away. I mean, I must say that the greater audience can't see what I look like, but I don't look like a genius, and I'm not. <laughs> and my dosing strategy is if six pills a day, three and three is too much, you're getting five pills a day. I don't give 150 milligram tablets very often. I will occasionally, but I usually do those kind of dose reductions. Just take a pill away, make it tolerable. This is a six-month go. He's got things to do with his wife. So you want to give him enough drug that it's in his system and you can visibly see the effects, but you don't want to limit his functional status. Bob, you know, the NSABP is doing a trial looking at capecitabine versus 5 of you and rectal cancer. You guys just use capecitabine. It's like a totally different viewpoint, off study. And I just use 5-FU. You just use 5-FU. <laughs> any, uh, any sort of reaction? I mean, I said? think part of the issue is Certainly, the trials have not suggested that compliance has been an issue with capecitabine. You might say, well, research nurse is counting pills, but I think patients with cancer, particularly those who are taking therapy with curative intent, are pretty darn motivated. And I don't have the sense, again, when I see somebody's hands are red, that they're shirking on their pills a lot. Number two is central venous catheters have baggage to them. The risk is low, but people do develop thrombotic events. Ports usually don't get infected. Certainly, pick lines do. And so, you know, these are trade-offs. And I think you can argue, well, boy, half a day and it's two days and you're done. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who say, you're asking me to do something to take care of taking pills two weeks straight. I'd rather be hooked up to a pump for two days and be done with it. And I hear that. But I also hear people say, gosh, you know, coming back, this is time that I'd rather not be spending at the ambulatory center and get a catheter, et cetera. And so I think these are the kinds of things that you talk to. And to me, this is as much about what the patient wants as opposed to my preference of one over the other. Final comment from Rich. I had an interesting experience last summer. I went to India and I gave a bunch of talks and talked to a bunch of oncologists one-on-one. And there, Cape Sidebean's generic. And it's three bucks a pill. And no one has insurance. So basically, you're going to have to pay for the infusion or you're going to have to pay for the pills. Nobody gets infusion there. And of course, that way you don't have to pay for the catheter insertion and maintenance either. So I think it depends on what the payer mix is and what you can get done in your own medical system. Dr. Reeves, can you just follow up with what actually happened with this man? Well, he was presented both options of Zolota versus Fox, and he 
wanted very much to go with the Zolota because he did not want to have the every two-week visits and the catheters and the pumps. We started at a 2,500 per meter square dose that did not get through the first cycle. Diarrhea stopped him. We dropped to a 2,000 per meter after that, and he went through six months, was able to care for his wife. He's now more than six months out from the last dose of medicine and doing very well. He's very comfortable and complacent and happy that we made that choice. How did he do in terms of his hands and feet and diarrhea? Yeah, there was some redness, but there was uh, the diarrhea was the issue that stopped him at the 2,500 milligram It dose. was the diarrhea? Yes. It was not hand foot. And that was the first cycle. And the, did he have any more problems with diarrhea? Did not. I mean, two to three loose bowel movements per day, but nothing that stopped him. And how about his hand? Just redness just or pain? Just redness. There was never pain. He was able to do all his wife's personal care and there was not an issue. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kumar? Based on the so-called evidence-based medicine we talked about, one of the previous tips I have heard, one investigator say, based on evidence-based medicine, I would start at 1250 per meter square BID to see if he tolerates, because there are at least about, what, a 50 or 60% of the patients may tolerate that dose, then I feel good that I'm giving the full evidence-based dose. How do you comment about that? And also the issue of the interesting difference in toxicity that you see in the United States versus on the other side of the Atlantic. I think, you know, I have a very firm belief that we are overdosing our patients and that these drugs have been studied basically at close to MTD levels as giving us our doses, as opposed to finding the biologically relevant dose. And I don't know what the lower end of capecitabine should be in terms of dosing, but I think you're way high with 2,500, and I think you're still high with 2,000. At least the United States. I think in Europe it is a different situation. And can you just briefly explain why we think that is and what you think about that theory? It's my understanding people think that our folate-rich diet puts it at an increased risk for toxicity from the drug. I don't know if that's the case. People have talked about we use more multivitamins and things like that. I do think it's a real phenomenon. I mean, there was some sense early on when this was first observed that Americans, I guess, don't tolerate side effects and want it to come down in their doses, and the Europeans were tougher, but I don't believe that's been true. I don't know what Rich feels about this area. I suspect it's related to dietary differences. You know, it's hard to say that it's pharmacogenetics because most of us came from ancestors that were in Europe, the majority of the patients in our practice. But it is a reality, I believe. One of the things that, frankly, I don't know, it may be a bit of a sensitive subject, but I I bet Americans are packing more pounds than many Europeans, and it could be that we're just per meter squared, we're getting more drug into us. Interesting. 